millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Christopher Harris, the uh, host of the World Soccer Talk podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, it's a fun time of the year. It's, uh, you mean, it's the late July, we're heading into early August, and we've got a lot of things to look forward to, uh, in particular, uh, a new uh, season of Premier League football, as well as, of course, uh, all the leagues from around Europe. Uh, before you know it, it's the UEFA Champions League uh, group stage will be here. Uh, and so on and so forth and the World Cup will be here in just a few months let's talk about some of the the news that's been coming out uh, from this past week it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk about the media rights business um, and and, and kind of the 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 soccer media business in general now Kartik I'm sure you uh, followed this this story you you were interviewed uh, by Sportico about it uh, but this week, the big news from U.S. soccer is uh, the Sacramento Republic uh, knocking out sport- Sporting Kansas City in the U.S. Open Cup uh, semifinal uh, and going through to the final, which they'll play in September against Orlando City in Orlando for the U.S. Open Cup final. Exciting news. And if, if anyone missed the celebrations, definitely uh, check it out on, on, uh, on social media. But Kartik, I think USL couldn't have picked a better time to negotiate its next TV deal with ESPN. Do you agree? Uh, Yeah, uh, certainly. And I think uh, also given the sort of conversations that USL has had very publicly around restructuring, promotion relegation, calendar change, uh, some of the reforms that reformers in the game have badly wanted for years in this country and never expected to come from USL of all entities. In fact, I, if you had put a gun to my head 10 years ago, I would have said MLS is more likely to do that stuff than USL. USL seemed very, very traditional, but uh, Jake Edwards has come in there uh, along with support from, from uh, Alec pa- and Justin Papadakis and really changed the culture within the league. And, and uh, the other thing that has uh, very definitively happened, as I discussed in that Sportico article um, where I was interviewed, was that you have big markets that I think are MLS-level markets, Sacramento, Tampa Bay, San Antonio, Louisville, sticking with USL. And in USL long-term, that's just a a handful of them, but there, there are more. So USL is in a position of strength vis-a-vis the general soccer landscape that they've never been in before. It's interesting, though, too, Kartik, because you look at uh, Detroit City, and if you uh, sat down right now with a forum of Detroit City uh, FC supporters, and you asked them, hey, guys, would you rather be uh, in USL or Major League Soccer? What would their answer be? They would all say USL. Um, 
In fact, there are a lot of fans who don't want their teams in MLS now, which is not which is not what was the case 10 years ago, right? Everybody wanted to be in MLS, which was a, a major strategic error. And I, and I, I mean, I, I'll reveal some company secrets here. I, uh, when I was at NASL, I internally, and this kind of led to my ostracization within the organization, I knew this was the case, that fans, there was no fan group. There was no set of fans except for small niche uh small, small niches that, that would say, hey, I'd rather my team be in a lower division than be in MLS. That just wasn't the case in 2012 and 2013 when we at NASL were making our move against MLS. Now in 2022, as USL is in a stronger position than NASL ever was, uh, that is the case. You have fans in San Antonio. You have 95% of the fans in Detroit. You have, I would say, the majority of fans in Tampa Bay. I would say a lot of fans in Sacramento because they've been directly burned by MLS, and et cetera, and many markets saying, you know what? We like this league better. We like the culture of this league better. We like the way they're going in terms of direction from a business standpoint and a cultural standpoint. And uh, being in USL doesn't diminish our enjoyment. We don't have to be in MLS to enjoy being supporters and going to a match and watching a match with our friends on television or at home with our families, whatever the case, uh, wearing our scarves, wearing our kits. We don't have to be in MLS to enjoy that more than we do in USL. And that is a big cultural change from a decade ago. And we've seen, too, just in the last couple of months in terms of the uh, USL TV numbers that they got for some of the games on ESPN um, with basically zero promotion. I mean, USL really hasn't been promoted nowhere near to the extent that Major League Soccer has uh, in the last decade in terms of I mean, MLS being promoted across I mean, Fox, ABC, uh, ESPN, Univision, you name it. Um, and then here comes USL with uh, some games on Saturdays. And, and those games, TV viewing numbers-wise, were, were greater than what FS1, Major League Soccer games were getting on FS1 and uh, relatively close to uh, what MLS was getting on ESPN. So, so basically in the same ballpark. But Kartik, what when it comes to the playing levels, when we see, when we watch a USL game that's on ESPN on, on a Saturday afternoon, um, whether it's Detroit City or whether it's Hartford Athletic or anyone else, what would you say in terms of the playing levels? How much of a difference is there between MLS and, and USL? Uh, MLS is better in terms of technical players, having star power, having um, having those guys who can create individual moments of brilliance. Uh, and this is something that uh, I noticed. Obviously, I go way back. I mean, I go back to when the team I worked for was in uh, the previous incarnation of USL. So I compared the second division with the first division in this country going back probably to 2006, 2007, very closely. I'd say MLS is a better league and has uh, overall better players. But here's what has effectively happened. And maybe our, our viewers don't get the quite gra- our listeners, excuse me, not our viewers, our listeners don't quite grasp this. Um, because MLS has a has a fairly hard salary cap, we've seen exceptions made. We've seen it maybe grow a little softer at times. But because they do have a cap, what you have is you have the top-level players in this country in MLS. You also have guys who can then fill out salary spots um, in order to keep a team under the cap or keep a team compliant. That means you have a number of players – Somewhere in the middle, maybe they're in the in the bottom third, but they're the higher end of the bottom third. 
ending up in, in USL. And we took advantage of this at NASL. I mean, I, had, I actually had a database, a spreadsheet uh, with, with players that, hey, this guy was making 90 or 100. Now it would be more in MLS. But this guy, you know, might get squeezed by the cap. Uh, maybe Atlanta can sign him. Maybe Fort Lauderdale can sign him, et cetera. Uh, same thing USL is clearly doing. I mean, they're getting guys that are being that are in that kind of a squishy middle that gets squeezed by the cap because you're signing high end guys. Now, Tam uh, and Gam have have addressed this to a certain extent. So um, there are fewer of those guys than there were five, six years ago. But there's still enough. In addition, USL is doing a really good job of scouting and is getting more good young players than they did five or six years ago. And in fact, they've been able to move some of those young players directly to Europe. And the incentive to sign in USL if you're a young player is you're not tied into the MLS ecosystem where they may or may not sell you, they may overvalue you, they won't let you go. There's a possibility they won't let you go when uh, you want to go or when your agent feels you're ready to go. Um, MLS has gotten better about that, admittedly, Chris. They're, They're selling more guys at a young age to Europe. They're letting guys go at 18 or 19. But um, some of the agents I talk to still think USL is a safer bet. If they can get their guys in a shop window at a USL club that's willing to flip the player in a year and send them to Europe, uh, that to them uh, has added value, right? You know, MLS, you you may not be able to get out of that deal. You don't sign one-year deals. Uh, And then there's always a, a bureaucracy involved in getting a guy out of MLS that there isn't in USL. I would argue that uh, the playing level between USL and MLS isn't that much different. Yes, MLS is definitely better, and uh, MLS has those stars, those types of players, like you mentioned, Kartik, that can create something out of nothing. And it's something that that's what makes the difference between no matter, like, kind of what what, uh, kind of an average player and a a star player, the game changes. And there's definitely more game changes in MLS, uh, understandably so, in terms of uh, how much money that MLS has. Um, but USL, I mean, we've seen here with Sacramento now going all the way to, to the final and probably having a good chance against Orlando. I'm sure Orlando's certainly the favorites to win the, the final. But it just goes to show that the quality level with USL isn't that much different. If you, had, if you did a Pepsi challenge and would, uh, you, you saw two, two games on television... And uh, you didn't know who the teams were, uh, and you just watched the game the way that the games were played. You wouldn't notice that much of a difference. I mean, USL is a very advanced in terms of technical ability, the way that they play, systems, um, the actual kind of shape on the field. They are playing good football, and in every USL game I've watched, I haven't walked away said like, "Ah, oh, that's just like kind of uh, Route One soccer," or "That's just uh, you mean primitive, archaic." That's just you mean I don't see that. So when I watch USL games um, and I watch MLS games, I don't not- notice that much of a difference. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, happened when when I was at the NASL is that uh, we were able to develop with some of our coaches. Uh, a few that moved on to MLS, like Gio Savarese, we were able to develop, I think, more tactical variation in our league than MLS at the time. And we had 10 teams and they had 
20 teams or, or whatever they had uh, um, in a given year, right? It changes every year in MLS. But um, we were able to develop more tactical variation, more interesting tactical battles than maybe you saw in MLS. Now, I think MLS has evolved since then uh, tactically. Not all the teams were playing the same way. There were some definite variations. I would give uh, Jesse Marsh, who I know we'll end up talking about later in this podcast in reference to his work in the Premier League now. I give him a lot of credit because I think when he brought his system, it didn't really work in Montreal, but brought his system them into Red Bull, that that kind of changed the trajectory of the way the league was going. Same thing with Greg Berhalter at uh, Columbus at the time. Uh, I uh, I would also argue, Chris, um, I think MLS is a better product uh, in terms of play because I am accustomed to watching American domestic soccer. I'm accustomed to working in American domestic soccer. For the average Premier League fan or La Liga fan who doesn't watch uh, U.S. domestic soccer regularly, the products will look roughly the same. So I, I think there's some truth in what you're saying that there isn't much of a difference. I just know the difference because I've worked in the, in, in, in the game in this country and have had to watch you know dozens of games a weekend at one time when I worked at NASL or worked at individual clubs. But yeah, for the average European fan or fan of European football in this country, the differences are not that obvious. Uh, I think there are differences in business and management that uh, propel MLS ahead of USL and propelled them ahead of NASL when I was at NASL. Those differences are shrinking as well as USL really ramps up their business operation and their individual clubs get better at selling sponsorships and selling tickets. So, um, you know, watch that space because I think that's where there is a gap, but it's closing. One more thing on, on this too, Kartik, is that even the supporters' culture. Now, now MLS has uh, each individual club has its own supporters' culture of its own. Some of them are, are really good. Some of them are, eh, they're okay. Uh, nothing special. But uh, that is something that USL has. They definitely have um, in, in certain cities, same again too. Uh, Detroit City being the perfect example of just, I mean, Sacramento too, uh, just a great supporters' culture. And it just goes to show that, again, that, that local is so important in terms of if it's your local team, it's a, it's a team you embrace, whether it's in USL or MLS or, or NISA or whatever league it may be, there's that local attachment, there's that connection to that local team. Um, and, and that's something you, you don't get with the, the TV uh, connection where you do support a team, you mean, I don't know, Arsenal or Chelsea, whoever it may be, uh, until they come to this to the United States and play friendlies. And, th- and then you kind of see that bond. You see you, you can, you can uh, connect with them in, in a deeper way. Quite frankly, some of the better supporters groups in MLS and supporters cultures were honed when those uh, uh, sides or those cities were in USL or NASL. I can think of, I would say the majority of examples in MLS are teams that the supporters culture was really built when they were in either USL or NASL. So I, there is some, definitely some truth to this. And yeah, I think the supporters culture and the, and the vibrancy of supporters in terms of how they dominate a stadium or an atmosphere is greater in USL than in MLS currently. So Kartik, let's move on to uh, a big news in the uh, TV and streaming news uh, section here. And that talks about speaking of major league soccer, uh, some, some revealing information this week from uh, SBJ. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, in a report this week in uh, SBJ, MLS is close to a linear TV deal with uh, ESPN and Fox Sports, uh, which will be for a lot less money than last time. Uh, although, again, they have the Apple deal in hand, which is a streaming deal. Uh, but things are not progressing as quickly or as positively on the Spanish language side uh, with Univision. Uh, the issues that Univision has have with the new uh, NMLS deal are, uh, are a couple. Uh, beginning in 2023 through 2033, uh, they won't have exclusive rights to Spanish language broadcasts for any MLS games they show. Apple TV will be showing all games in English and Spanish, which will cannibalize their broadcast audience. Uh, Univision wanted some games exclusive to VIX Plus, which we've talked about is a big deal for Televisa and Univision, uh, their new paid streaming service. But with the Apple TV deal, that can't happen, right? That's uh, unless Apple were very generous and uh, were willing to sublicense them games, which I don't think in any way is realistic. Uh, according to SBJ reporters Alex Silver, uh, Silverman and John Orond, um, they quote, it's clear that Univision is not making MLS a top priority um, and, and, and uh, Univision's primary interest in an MLS deal lies in airing matches from the expanded Leagues Cup, which we thought was going to be a good incentive for Spanish language broadcasters, which beginning in 2023 will feature all 47 teams from MLS and Liga Mekis, Univision sources say that the network sees some value in retaining MLS matches. But this is the key, uh, Chris. If only to support its brand positioning as the home of soccer in the U.S. And I think that's a similar situation with Fox and ESPN, quite frankly. It's, it's, a, it's a brand positioning thing to say they have MLS as part of their portfolio, more than whatever value uh, MLS gives them. Uh, so what are your thoughts, Chris, on this? Yeah, I think that that's a key point that you mentioned there, Kartik, and, and emphasized is that I think for ESPN, Fox, and Univision, they feel that they have to show soccer from the United States in order to make that connection with the U.S. audience. You I mean, imagine if it's a network such as NBC that has is not showing any U.S. games. Uh, NBC is great with the Premier League, does great coverage, etc. But there is a disconnect. Um, and I think for Fox, especially with all of their USMNT guys and doing the World Cup coverage and all, all the international tournaments that they have, um, I think it's important that they still have some roots with Major League Soccer and still show US soccer. Same with, with ESPN. ESPN has John Champion and Taylor Twellman. Imagine if uh, those guys didn't have any MLS games to call. It would seem really strange. It, it, it would seem like a disconnect. How can they talk uh, uh, kind of extensively about the U.S. men's national team if they can't talk about uh, if they can't talk about MLS games that they're showing? And, and Univision, Univision. This is key because Univision's been one of the biggest supporters of uh, of Major League Soccer. Um, they've put a lot of effort and time into broadcasting games. Um, and we discussed on, on a few podcasts ago 
about how Univision, actually this is from uh, Felipe Cardenas from The Athletic when, when we had him on the show. He talked about how Univision wanted to shake things up. They wanted to go ahead and be more experimental. They wanted MLS to be more flexible to try a different calendar, to try to go ahead and create a special night for coverage, to try to do these things that would be exciting, engaging, would be kind of uh, testing things, seeing, seeing how things work. But Major League Soccer as a whole, as, a, as an institution, is very stubborn, is very set in its ways. It's very unlikely to change. And, and, and that's not a good thing. So, so Univision is in a spot here where they're like, hey, why why should we go ahead and spend big time money to get rights to these games that Apple TV has the rights to uh, on the Spanish language side that cannibalizes our audience that doesn't make it any sense for us to go in big and spend spend a, lo a lot of money on showing these games if uh, if you've got a streaming service that's showing every single game in Spanish so some of my additional thoughts on this Kartik is that MLS has really shot themselves in the foot here by screwing up their TV partnerships in order to rush in and cash in on the money that Apple was offering. In a perfect world, I think Major League Soccer would have been able to find a deal that would have satisfied their TV partners and streaming services at the same time. And then they would announce this deal at the same time and say, hey, like we did in 2015, we've got uh, ESPN, Univision and Fox at the table. We're here to make a joint announcement to, with Major League Soccer to announce this great new deal that we have. That never happened. It was a very last-minute deal that MLS did with Apple and said, okay, here's, here's the information. ESPN, Fox, Univision was not included in any of that. So by, by doing the streaming deal first uh, between Apple and Major League Soccer, the TV rights now feel like leftovers and, 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 and that, that cold leftovers. So Apple, as part of this deal, is paying... $250 million per year for the global rights to every single MLS game for the next 10 years. So over 10 years, that's $2.5 billion, but $250 million a year. As one comparison, the Premier League is getting each year for the international and domestic deals uh, combined $4 billion. So which would you rather, $4 billion or $250 million? And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, yes, the Premier League is far uh, more popular, far better than Major League Soccer. But that puts it into perspective. This, this Apple TV deal is fantastic for consumers. However, we don't know what the price is yet. But for, for the consumer, the consu it's, a, it's a win for the consumer because we can get access to every single game in Spanish or English or both uh, for the next 10 years. And we don't have to worry about trying to figure out who's got what game. Is it going to be a TV? Is it going to be... A, uh, is it going to be uh, delayed slightly because there's a, uh, I don't know, College World Series uh, baseball game that's happening right before it or whatever it may be? It's easy. So it's easy for Apple. It's, it's easy for the consumer. But for Major League Soccer, I really feel in, in hindsight, looking at this deal more closely, is that they've really they've really shot themselves in the foot. Kartik, let's move on. One more news item, and that is... Uh, the Premier League. The Premier League has a brand new deal with NBC Sports that begins in August, August 5th. Uh, for the next six years, we talked about this deal extensively. They've re renewed the deal. However, there's golf. <laughs> there's the Women's uh, Open Golf Tournament that's starting. And because of the World Cup, the Premier League is starting a week earlier than usual. 
And because the U.S. women's, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry, it's the U.S. No, it's not even the U.S. It's the uh, op- the women's open uh, tournament, which is which is going to be in I think in in Scotland. I think it is because that game's across USA Network, and because NBCSN is no more. Uh, for the opening weekends of the Premier League season, 80% of the games are going to be on Peacock and only two games on TV. Uh, so I think that's the Palace-Arsenal uh, game and I think it's the Chelsea-Everton game. Both of those are on TV, on USA Network, everything else on, on Peacock. So, Kartik, last week's podcast, you mentioned that you've uh, you got your... Uh, right during the podcast, your, your uh, Peacock subscription order renewed. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Yeah, yeah, because otherwise I'd be uh, out of luck this first weekend of the season. And probably because the Premier League is sneaking up on us this year, uh, weeks earlier, as you mentioned, uh, maybe I wouldn't have renewed it uh, uh, on my own or it would have been scrambling the last day to renew it. All right, let's let's just move on to the list of mailbag. We've just got a few comments here. Let's go through these. Uh, First up is Greg talking about uh, the Champions League rights uh, being up for sale in the United States. Uh, Greg says it's interesting about the uh, Champions League broker's view that the rights are undervalued, yet broadcasters who've had the rights say that there's only so much they can ring out in ad dollars because of UEFA's hold uh, on ad time makes me think that they see the path as higher streaming fees that crew uh, who were behind the international champions cup strike me as the kind of rich jerks who don't get that uh, who don't get that the average person has a price point they won't cross if they succeed in getting the money they want i'll bet the result is fewer games available overall only the top teams and you've had to pay much more for that for it than the current paramount plus cost with the Champions League card, it feels like to me it's almost like a um, what's the expression? It's a uh, I can't think of it right this second, but it's one of those things that you mean. Know, sometimes companies buy a product that they know that's go- that it's going to lose money, but it, it is it is a prestige thing where it's like, hey, we've got the rights to whatever it may be. We know that this is going to lose money, but it puts us on the map. This is, this, this is, we have one of the, the things that's most important in club soccer and in, in, in club tournament soccer. Uh, however, we're probably not going to make money. We're probably not, uh, not going to even break even. We're going to lose money on this, but us having this is an important, uh, stake kind of in the ground and uh, this will help us sell uh, other whether it's properties or streaming services or other leagues whatever it may be but that's what it feels like to me is is that uh, everyone knows that they want it everyone knows that they're going to lose money on it but uh and and there is a fight for it too because if you have the champions league rights whether you love the tournament or not it's a big statement. It's a big thing. So we know who has the Champions League rights every single, single year. Uh, and, and it is important. It is important to, to have that, especially with the European Super League kind of uh, morphed into this Champions League where you do have the top teams and the top players. And, and Kartik, you, you and I know this too. PSG, you see so many PSG shirts all around. However, they're not watching League One games. They're watching uh, Champions League games with, with Messi. Yeah, uh, although, I mean, again, I think we're looking at a situation where um, networks have to decide as this price goes up, this price point for Champions League goes up with the with the third-party broker in relevant sports, uh, is it really worth it to lose that kind of money or just break even on a property that takes this much um, airtime and this much production? 
and uh, this much bumper programming as we've seen with CBS. So that I think that there's a real decision that has to be made in, in boardrooms of, of major networks about it, unlike the Premier League and unlike uh, other properties. Yeah, the, the, the phrase I was looking for that I couldn't think, couldn't think of is, is loss leader. But I think somebody like Apple TV or Amazon uh, with I mean, billions in cash uh, could use this as a, as a loss leader. Because that would put them on the map, right? I mean, if you have, if you're Apple TV and you can say, "Hey, we have the rights to the UEFA Champions League," and this is going to be a, a six-year deal, so we're going to have a six-year deal for the Champions League, and we've got MLS also. I mean, for for us average soccer fan, that may make the difference in getting them to sign up for it. Uh, vice versa, you I mean if it's Amazon, Amazon Prime, and they say, "Hey, we have the Champions League for the next six years, uh, from 2024 onwards." It's, it's a big deal. I mean, then all of a sudden people will subscribe to that service just because they have the Champions League. So a loss leader, but then it's maybe for Apple and for Amazon, they can sell other services. They can sell I mean, Amazon Prime. They can sell uh, on Apple TV, maybe subscriptions to Apple TV or Apple Music or Apple products or AirPods or, or whatever. So it is a loss leader, and it it may come down to maybe an Apple versus Amazon at, at that point if uh, if that's the expectation in terms of the rights fee for this competition, which is supposed to be uh, ginormous. And it, it would push out the traditional TV broadcasters, even if they are media giants such as uh, Paramount uh, or, or Fox, etc. Let's move on. Uh, in regards to Paramount Plus, speaking of that, um, JP had some comments about crowd crowd noise and some of the uh, comments from some some of our listeners saying that uh, the crowd noise on some games is different than others. JP says, in regards to the crowd noise on Paramount Plus matches, it varies by league. Brazil Aero is usually non-existent on the English commentary feed. It's like watching it in a fishbowl. Uh, it improves if you choose the Portuguese feed, but it's still muted. Serie A is quite good uh, when it's the world feed, when it's Andres Cordero and Matteo Bernetti, and not the rare t- times they're on site. The crowd seems to be turned down more than usual. It was the same situation on B in Sports, very good with the world feed, and almost the same fishbowl feel when they used in house commentary. And Kantik, we've seen that in person when we've gone to uh, Gold TV many, many years ago, watching how they do the audio and just trying to find that balance between making sure the commentators are not drowned out um, by the crowd noise uh, so you can hear the commentators. Um, and I think it's more of a technological thing, though, too. There's got to be a way to kind of blend those two together uh, better than it's, it is currently. But it is something that... Uh, Avid soccer uh, viewers such as ourselves uh, do notice when we're watching games and the crowd noise sounds muted. And then you listen to it, the same game, maybe on a radio commentary, and it sounds like it's, it's alive. It's electric. Moving on, uh, Dave talks about uh, the Women's Euro 2022 coverage. I'm enjoying the uh, coverage by Tudo NA and ESPN. I agree that ESPN is a bit rough around the edges in the studio, but it's great that they have shoulder programming. Interesting to hear the Kartik, uh, from Kartik that club interest tends to lead international interest for women's soccer in Europe. 
Chris Guardino says about the Bundesliga 2. I watched the Bundesliga 2 match recently between Hanover and St. Pauli. And I have to say that Bundesliga 2 is about equal to the EFL Championship in terms of being the, the best second division in Europe, both in terms of play and the atmosphere inside the stadium. Definitely one league I will be watching more of this season. I have a question about the rights to the UEFA club competitions with how the rights have been delinked between MLS and US soccer this past year. Do you see something similar hap- happening with the UEFA club competitions here in the US in which the rights uh, uh, to each can be given to different broadcasters instead of bundled altogether for one broadcaster to bid on? So I, th- I think in terms of the uh, UEFA deal, it's more likely that it actually is going to be bundled together. And it could be English and Spanish in one package. So, again, if you're Apple TV, you're looking at this saying, like, hey, for, with MLS, we got English and Spanish all together for 10 years. For the UEFA Champions League, we want the same thing for the six-year deal. And, and, and it's easy. It's easy for the consumer. It's easy for Apple TV. Um, and if UEFA is happy with the amount of money that uh, is being offered, then it's an easy uh, one for UEFA also. Last but not least, uh, about 11 sports, Darth Bill says, I'm not at all excited about the DAZN 11 sports uh, thing. I'm still not sure how 11 sports will monetize the site, let alone what DAZN would do. I really enjoyed being able to watch the women's champions games that DAZN put on YouTube this year. But I know that at some point they'll want me to pay. I'm not really into paying for everything I watch. I don't mind ads. I just don't get. I just get kind of tired of all this rights stuff. I can't keep track, and I have serious fear of missing out at times. Yeah, and Darth Bill, that's something too that uh, here at WorldSoccerTalk.com, uh, both on the website, um, on this podcast, in our newsletter, on social media, uh, a lot of the eBooks that we write. Um, that's our goal is to really simplify matters is to make it so that uh, you don't get too tired of all this right stuff so we keep track of all that to make it easier also with our app our soccer tv schedules app which is free on uh, android and google play uh, so that you can figure out where to watch these games and and also to answer your questions about streaming or television etc 